0: When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, for they will be comforted, for they will inherit the earth. For they will be filled. For they will receive mercy. For they will see God. For they will be called children of God. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Mm, I think there was another line. Oh, well, sure. Amen. <laughs> yes.
1: I'm Pastor John Jay, I'm the lead pastor here, and I get the privilege to teach with you this morning. We are starting a new teaching focus on the Sermon on the Mount. I'll explain this image in a little bit. Um, First, I want to start with a story. A book that I cannot recommend to all of you because it is just entirely too foul. But it's really good. So, if you are above the age of, who's you've read it, 15? Lamb? 15, 14, Oh, 14. I don't know what 14 year olds are reading these days. Uh, up to the age of maybe, I don't know. When you still have a, a sense of humor, they can handle a lot of curse words. Uh, <laughs> this is your book. Um, so Christopher Moore wrote a book called Lamb. The subtitle is The Gospel According to Biff. Christ's Childhood Pal. A novel. This is not scripture. But it tells the story, I've got to set this up for a second before I read for you, it tells the story of what happens in those years between what the scriptures address. So you could say this is a like very, very playful New Testament midrash on Jesus' story. Midrash is like a story beyond the text, so it kind of fills in the gaps in between a thing. Uh, and so Jesus' life takes up right until like early childhood. He's teaching in the temple and all of that, and then you just don't hear anything about Jesus anymore until presented for public ministry in his early thirties. And so there are all of these years between what happened between. So this author writes the story about what happens between, but tells it from the perspective of Christ's best friend in childhood named Biff. And Biff is sort of the like foil to Jesus. And Jesus goes by the name Joshua in this book because Jesus and Joshua are sort of interchangeable names in Greek and Hebrew. Okay. So that's the setup. Uh Biff is quite Biff like does all the cursing in the book and all the inappropriate things in the book, and Jesus sort of is with him through all of this. Uh and they they sort of learn together what it means for Jesus the Christ to be the Son of God. It is a beautiful book. Um, but I have to give a lot of caveats whenever I mention it because it's all like it's got a lot of grit to it. Um, okay. So there's a point in the book where Biff and jesus are working out the beatitudes they're writing the sermon together and uh biff who loves to figure out what is sinful and what is not by trying it out right by practice uh is starting to try to write that section with jesus about adultery (laughs) i can't read that part to you uh arguing about how detailed to be how not detailed to be how how vague or how specific we should get when we talk about what is adultery what is lust and what is not and uh so Biff says and starts. Come on, Josh, this isn't an easy one. Like thou shalt not kill, right? Basically, you've got a corpse, you've got a sin, right? And so Joshua, Jesus says, Biff, I appreciate you feel obliged to be an advocate for your favorite sins. That's not what we need here. What I need is help writing this sermon. What are we going to do about the beatitudes? The what? Josh, Joshua, Jesus says, the blesseds. So Biff says, well, here's what we've got so far. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. For righteousness, blessed are the poor in spirit, the pure in heart, the whiners, the meek, the... Joshua says, wait, what are we going to give to the meek? Let's see here. Blessed are the meek, for to them we shall say, attaboy. A little weak. Yeah. Let's, let's let the meek inherit the earth, Jesus says. Okay. Meek, get the earth. Here we go. Blessed are the peacemakers, the mourners, and that's it. And Jesus says, how many is that? And there's a seven. He says, that's not enough. Okay, we need one more. So how about the dum-dums? He definitely does not say dum-dums in this line, but I edit it for content, okay? How about the dum-dums? This is, no, Josh, not the dum-dums. We've done enough for the dum-dums. Nathaniel and Thomas, and Jesus, blessed are the dum-dums for they, I don't know, shall never be disappointed. No, drawing the line at dum-dums. Come on, Josh, we can't have any powerful guys on our team Why do we have to have the meek and the poor and the oppressed and the dumped on? Why can't we for once have the blessed are the big, powerful, rich guys with swords? (laughs) Jesus says, because they don't need us. Okay, but no blessed are the dum-dums. Jesus says, I've got it. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sakes. Okay, better, but what are we going to give them? Jesus says, I don't know, a fruit basket? (laughs) So you can't give the meek the whole earth and give these guys a fruit basket. Says, give him the kingdom of heaven. Biff says, the poor in spirit got the kingdom of heaven. Says, everybody gets a little. Okay then, share the kingdom of heaven. I wrote it down. And Jesus says, we could give the fruit baskets to the dum-dums. Biff says, no dum-dums. I love, I love, love, love this book. But I love this line because it's so honest. This is what Biff says. And, and when I read this novel, I thought like, yes, I have this exact question. Why can't we have any powerful guys on our team? Why do we have to have the meek and the poor and the oppressed and the dumped on? Why can't we for once have blessed are the big, powerful, rich guys with swords? Oh. Sit with that for just a second. The Beatitudes, which we're going to study today. We should be honest that they make no sense apart from whatever is happening in the good news of Jesus, which we should say makes no sense to those who are outside the story. The whole thing is upside down and really, really inside out. The context is important. Jesus, in this fifth chapter in Matthew's gospel, goes up the mountain, sees the crowds, goes up the mountain, sits down, and he teaches them. gives this sermon. Chapters 5, 6, and 7 is what we're going to study together. But right before that, if you have a Bible, you could flip to it. The context for the sermon is empire. This is one of those background little bits of information, the setting that's super important all of the time. The setting of empire. The New Testament is written underneath the cloud of empire, just like a lot of the Old Testament is written underneath the cloud of empire. It says, Right before chapter 5, that Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread throughout all of Syria. And they brought to him all those who were sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, and paralytics, and he cured them. Great crowds followed him from Galilee, from the Decapolis, from Jerusalem, from Judea, and from beyond the Jordan, which basically means everywhere in the empire. People are leaving in crowds to follow this Messiah, Jesus the Christ. Figure out what's going on in this new movement. Just a little bit before that, Jesus proclaims after the wilderness temptations, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, we've been talking about the kingdom of heaven for like the last eight weeks. All of these things, they sort of fit together. So months ago, we talked about the Lord's Prayer. Specifically, we we really tried to hinge that middle part of as it is in heaven, so also on earth, and then use that to pull ourselves down into the Easter season with new creation, where Jesus brings heaven to earth in resurrection. Talked about that for eight, ten weeks or so. Now we're back in... The Sermon on the Mount, one of the questions that we might have been asking, we should have been asking the whole time we talked about, drew pictures of, tried to imagine new creation when heaven meets earth is how do we live in this new world? If God has made all things new in Christ, then how are we supposed to live? What should our posture be? Matthew chapter five through seven, that might in fact be the the sort of dance moves. Right, so if what we're trying to to learn is how to move and have our being in God's new world, then we might need to learn the steps, right? I don't dance, but if I did, like I imagine this is what it would look like. We have to learn the steps. That's what the Sermon on the Mount might teach us. Somebody laughing at my dancing? I feel like it's you. (laughs) So let's talk about empire for a second. Empire is a totalizing reality. It imposes itself on your imagination to the extent to where you cannot imagine the world outside of empire. It's like being in water and not knowing that there is a such thing as water. The goal of empire is that you would not wake up to the reality that you are inside of it. So that your oppression, that sort of heel on your neck, you don't realize where it's coming from. Empire is totalizing for your vision. So for Jesus, Jesus' followers, the folks who gathered the crowds, empire for them was Rome, right? We know the story of Rome coming in, taking over, taxing the mess out of these peasants who farm, taking land from them, subjecting them to war if they didn't follow and fall in line, occupying all the power structures in Jerusalem. So even though Jesus and the other Jews at the time were in their homeland, Israel and the surrounding areas and Galilee and the villages, they were not in charge of their lives in any meaningful way. Lots and lots of poverty, no middle class at the time. There is destitute poverty and then there are insanely wealthy people and there's sort of no middle ground. Some of this might start to sound familiar to us. So Jesus takes and gathers this group of people who are kind of like caught by this message that Jesus is preaching. Repent, because the kingdom of God has come near, is the way that Jesus says it. And then they leave these city centers and they all gather at this mountain. Jesus goes up on the mountain and begins to teach them. Now, what's happening in Matthew's gospel the whole way through is that Jesus is playing a part. Whenever Jesus tells these stories, whenever the gospel writers tell these stories, they tell these new stories in a very, very old way. We always talk about this. John's gospel starts in the beginning was the word, which sounds a lot like Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When John tells the story of Jesus, John tells it in a very old way. When Matthew tells the story of Jesus, Matthew tells it in a very Jewish way. And so when Jesus ascends to the mountain to teach them, that is that is Moses again. Jesus is coming back like a new Moses. Which begs the question, what is the new captivity? What's the new bondage? Which then begs the question, what will be the new deliverance? What will that look like? How should we prepare for it? Now, let's talk a little about, about empire and what happens on mountains and on these moments. So, uh, let's just go back to the exodus because we have to. Uh, so, do y'all know the exodus by now? We do, don't we? More than we did. The Jewish people are in slavery in Egypt. The rough contours of the story is that they cry out to God in the beginning of the book. Uh, their cries, actually, they don't even cry out to God, they just kind of scream incoherently and God hears them and God responds and God comes down to deliver them. So you've got the plagues and you've got the deliverance out of Egypt and they're headed to the promised land, they cross the sea and they're in the wilderness for this season. And in the wilderness, that's where They begin to change because here's the problem. You cannot go straight from slavery to freedom without working some things out along the way. It'd be like somebody coming like folks in this room who maybe have come out of abuse. And there is a season where you have to relearn who you are, how you fit in the world, what is good and bad, what you deserve and what you don't deserve. You have to be remade or or reformed, transformed. Now, all of these folks who were in Egypt as slaves, they were in this deeply abusive empire. And because of that, when they get into the wilderness, they don't exactly feel free. They are still slaves in like all of the instincts, all of their habits, all of their rhythms. And so God takes them and in the wilderness forms them. Part of when Moses goes up to the mountain and has the law given to him, the Ten Commandments, the Torah, all of the laws and instructions for what it means to be God's people, that is God helping to reform the people. The Ten Commandments are both commandments, but also signs and wonders of God's new world. For instance, Sabbath. In empire, there is no such thing as Sabbath, especially if you are part of the poor working class. So when God says you are to honor the Sabbath because you used to be slaves and now you're not, they are being reformed, transformed. That's what the wilderness experience is for. It's like a space of education. So when Jesus goes up on the mountain and teaches them, sits down, begins to instruct them, he's taking this new group of captive in bondage and oppression. And he is reforming them. So that they might exist in a new world. Or in a new kingdom. A promised land. And it's not going to be exactly like Canaan. It, it is going to take though. New eyes. New ears. New habits. New rhythms. A new way of being. So he sits with them. And he teaches them. Most of The sermon is this set of instructions, this re-giving of the law. We're going to get to that over several weeks. This, you heard it said long ago, and now I say. So here's the law of Moses. Here's how Jesus interprets it. But before you get to like thou shalt and thou shalt nots, you get the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are brilliant because before anything is prescribed, Jesus describes reality. This is really important. I sort of feel like, for, like I've been here for almost a year now. Can't believe it's been almost a year. Isn't that crazy? So much has happened, friends. Uh, I feel like the first year has been a lot of describing. And then more gray hair, that's fair. Thank you for that, Ted. (laughs) A lot of this first year has been describing reality. Describing who you are, who we are together. We have lots of time together. To work on the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots. And we have and we can, we will continue to do so. But at the beginning, it feels really important that we make sure we know who we are and whose we are. So we've said it over and over and over again. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Before we are told to do anything, and let's be honest, we really like to be told what to do. How can I fix the thing Right? How can I mend my own broken bones? How can I make this situation right? Give me the steps. Tell me how to do it. And then I'll do it. But before Jesus does that, before he tells them to do anything, he tells them who they are. Describes their reality. Now what Jesus is doing, and this is incredibly important, is he's painting a picture of the kingdom of heaven. So they can see it at the start. Jesus says, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has drawn near, has entered into your midst. And this next set of things I'm gonna say, right, the next set of things that Jesus says, it's only possible to even imagine to live into them if you imagine that the kingdom of heaven is present. If you are on your own, you are on your own, and you will not figure this thing out. Let's look at the Beatitudes. We read them together. By the way, brilliant reading of that. To have us read that first part and then give us the response back. Make us say the blessed group. So good. Listen. The crowds were seen by Jesus. He went up the mountain. And after he sat down, by the way, at this time when you were teaching, you would stand to read the scripture. And then it was time to give an interpretation of it. You sat down. And so Jesus sits down and he says to them, So as he began to speak, unlocks his mouth is the language of the Greek. And out comes living water. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account rejoice and be glad rejoice and be glad rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven from the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I don't know what happens in your body when you get anxious, but in my body when I get anxious or I get afraid or I feel, uh, let's think here. I woke up the other day and did the thing you're not supposed to do, which is check my email before I had a first cup of coffee. And the first thing that was waiting on my email was I'm pretty sure Uh, an email that was not meant for me, but it said I had an overdue bill that was like $2,500. We'll talk about it later, Corey, (laughs) something about insurance and housing stuff. And, uh, I thought like immediately my body went by the, it's okay. By the way, folks, we got it worked out. Um, but that morning before my coffee, I'm like laying in bed, you know, of course, also the place you're not supposed to have your phone by your bed. You don't sleep well. And then you write Mary this awful habit. Would somebody please pray for me? This is awful. So I'm laying there and all of a sudden like, you know, my shoulders start to move up and tense up around my neck and my arteries start to constrict and like the whole thing closes down. That feeling like just kind of that moment, it it happens to us all of the time when we feel like the world is too heavy or we feel like anxiety is flooding in or stress or pain or loss or all of those emotions, they close us down. So like if you read the book of Job and Job just keeps having calamity after calamity after calamity, he turns in on himself, like turns inward. Everything tenses up. The beauty of the Beatitudes of these blessed R's, I I kept reading them and reading them and reading them, is this feels like what is being described. This very open position, right? So I get the email, I'm like, everything in me closes down and tenses up. And if you're this group of people who've had the boot of empire on your neck for a long, long time, for generations after generations, you've just gotten used to this kind of being your default mode, all tensed up and, and like tight-fisted because you're not sure how things are going to work out. To have this sort of open heart it is to let go Of some control, of some assurance, also that'll let go of fear or anxiety. So listen to the group again. Blessed are the the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn for the meek or the gentle, for those who are hungry and thirsty the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted. Every time I read them this week, I kept seeing this open heart. Jesus knows something about how to live in the kingdom of heaven. And it takes vulnerability. It takes risk to do this is to open yourself, to be soft, is to potentially to be injured or to be killed. Now what Jesus is doing is he gathers the crowd and he begins to form this community in the wilderness. And he's taking them somewhere. And this journey is going to tempt them to close in because he's heading to his own death. Jesus somehow maintains this position, right? Until it's like this position, right? Can you, you feel it, don't you? This entire vulnerability of the divine. We can't talk about each of these, but I want to talk about one because as I think about what it means to be open, because when you are open, you are also open to God. When you have a soft heart, there is this sort of permeability that your soul, that your life, that your body has, where God can get to you. This is very hard for God to get to you. Stone does not conduct very well. So blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Let me tell you a story about when I saw the opposite of this happen. So I, uh, I had a, I have a friend I grew up with when I was like eight. His name was Matthew. Um, and some of you may have heard of this story. Uh, and it's, by the way, it's a sad story. So just, just so you know. And uh, this guy named Matthew had a really, like after he moved off, he and his family had a very, very hard life. Some abuse, ended up in his early 20s, not being able to sort of, integrate all of the parts of his life that were fractured and that were that were healing and he ended up killing himself and uh so he had two younger siblings underneath him he had a, a brother in the middle and he had a youngest sister and uh parents still good friends of my family uh so we were t- uh my parents were talking to their parents about how the service went the funeral and uh told this story i said that the youngest girl was uh she was Old enough, right? She was like probably Ruthie's age, seven or eight or so. And some adult came up to her and said, like at the service, said to her, you have to be strong for your parents right now. Like they need you. So, so be strong for them. Now what this guy was saying, uh, you know, probably with good intention is don't break down so if you are a young girl who's just lost their oldest brother in the most tragic of ways like being strong is not really the place you are in right what what he told her now this is not what he meant but what he what he told her was to do this to to close in keep it together So for that service, that young girl had no comfort. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. The opposite of that might be cursed are those who pretend because they will be lonely and without compassion or affection. She did go home and she did break down and she did mourn and she did cry and her parents held her and comforted her. Someone told her to close down and her parents allowed her to open up. To say things like this is not allowed. Weakness. Soft. Is not allowed. How is like, how is all of this grace or this living water, how is it gonna get in? What it does when you close down is you become a cynic. And it's really easy to be cynical. Fast I asked everybody, let's, let's try it. This would be like an old school Baptist kind of thing. Let's all close our eyes and bow our heads for a second. It's all nobody looking around. Do you remember this when you were growing up? Nobody looking around. Who has felt over the last year a temptation towards cynicism? Let's just raise our hands don't open your eyes but there are plenty of hands I've got both of my hands up friends alright you can put your hands down you can open your eyes cynicism part of what Jesus is undoing here is the temptation towards cynicism towards resignation this is how things have always been this is how my parents and their parents and their parents lived in the midst of the world we've always had our necks under the boot of some other group that was more powerful than us this is just how we've had to learn how to live So Jesus, you can talk about release of the captives and the healing of the lame and sight to the blind and hearing for those who are deaf, but everyone I know and have known has had to live with these things forever. And that's just the way that it's going to be. And we have learned that this position is much safer than this position. Jesus is advocating for them to call forth their innocence. There's a book that we read with the staff, uh, Camille and I are reading it this summer for her field ed time, uh, about adaptive leadership and adaptive change. Um, and these two professors writing out of Harvard talk about uh, what it means to be a leader in the midst of the struggle. Uh, and it's a book written for uh, professionals in the business world. And so I'm reading this on a recommendation from a mentor of mine. And I get to the last chapter. And the last chapter of the book is called The Sacred Heart. Turns out everything they've been spelling out in this theory of adaptive leadership is grounded in Jesus. I didn't see that coming. That was like out of left field sort of thing. Um, what they say, though, is uh, that it takes a certain kind of posturing in the world to lead well. Specifically three things. It takes curiosity, compassion, and innocence. what they say is that these are the three hardest like, qualities or characteristics to hold on to in times of struggle or hardship. That immediately all three of those disappear and are replaced by something that feels more realistic. And innocence goes to cynicism. Here's what they say. The most difficult work of leadership involves learning to experience distress without numbing yourself. The virtue of a sacred heart lies in the courage to maintain your innocence and wonder, your doubt and curiosity and your compassion and love, even through your darkest, most difficult moments. Tell me if this doesn't remind you of the cruciform life. Leading with an open heart means you could be at your lowest point, abandoned by your people, and entirely powerless, yet remain receptive to the full range of human emotions without going numb, striking back, or engaging in some other defense. In one moment, you may experience total despair, but in the next, compassion and forgiveness. Do you hear it right? It's this, and it's Father Forgive. It's at the same time, death reigns and we are free from its bondage. You may even experience such Vicissitudes in the same moment and hold these inconsistent feelings in tension with one another. Which is all the Beatitudes are, is a bunch of lines of tension held together. A sacred heart allows you to feel here and diagnose even in the midst of the mission so that you can accurately gauge different situations and respond appropriately. Otherwise, you simply cannot accurately assess the impact and the losses people are asking you to sustain, and you're asking them to sustain. Or comprehend the reasons behind their anger. Without keeping your heart open, it becomes difficult, impossible, to fashion the right response and succeed or to come out whole. I hear Jesus calling our innocence from us calling it back into the present so this image if you have a Bible grab it we're going to flip to the dead center to the first chapter in the book of Psalms i want to read for you Psalm 1 <laughs> it starts off in a way that should be familiar Blessed are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in its season and their leaves don't wither and all they do they prosper. That's this image. Trees planted deep roots by streams of water. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. That's Psalm 1. It's the same language for blessing. The word in Hebrew is the same word for the word that's used in the Greek. Blessed are those. They will be like trees planted by streams of water. Deep roots. So that when the wind blows, they do not fall over. Now turn back to Matthew chapter 5. And we're actually going to go all the way to the end. So Jesus uses the language of Psalm 1 to tell this story. To tell them who they are. The blessedness of the kingdom. And at the very end of the sermon, the last thing that's said should sound very much like that psalm. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like this. But those who do not act on it will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. And after he said these things, the crowds were astonished at his teachings. Jesus is calling forth that same imagery from Psalm 1 to say, if you are trying to figure out, this is the point, how do you live in the midst of the hurricane? How do you stand in the midst of the hurricane? Because it is going to come if it's not already here. How do you remain faithful? How do you see the kingdom of God when everything is blowing around you? How do you maintain this position when all you want to do is this? And everything that Jesus describes, the poor, those who are sad, those who are gentle or those who are weak, those who are persecuted, everything about that moves us to this. So how do you keep this or this in the hurricane? Those who hear and those who do will be like those who founded a house on the rock, or they will be like those who plant themselves by streams of water with deep, deep roots. And the way that Jesus says this is the language of blessing. So I came across in an email this week. uh, Part of a poem from a brief for the defense. Written by Jack Gilbert. I love this middle line right here. We must have the stubbornness to accept our gladness. In the ruthless furnace of the world. The ruthless furnace of the world. That sounds exactly like where we live sometimes. The ruthless furnace of the world. So listen these words sorrow everywhere slaughter everywhere if babies are not starving someplace they're starving somewhere else with flies in their nostrils but we enjoy our life because that's what god wants otherwise the mornings before summer dawn would not be made so fine the Bengal tiger would not Be fashioned so miraculously well. The poor women at the fountain are laughing together between their suffering that they know and have known and the awfulness in their future, smiling and laughing while somebody in this village is very, very sick. There is laughter every day in the terrible streets of Calcutta and the women laugh in the cages of Bombay. Now, if we deny our happiness, resist our satisfaction, we lessen the importance of their deprivation. We must risk delight. We can do without pleasure, but not delight, not enjoyment. We must have the stubbornness to accept our gladness in the ruthless furnace of this world. To make injustice the only measure of our attention is to praise the devil. If the locomotive of the Lord runs us down, we should give thanks that the end had magnitude. We must admit there will be music despite everything. came across an interview that Bob Dylan gave like middle of his life uh and he's talking about how he had sort of come out of the season of turmoil and and uh parts of his life that were quite complicated and and broken and had found a peacefulness having a family having children and the the interviewer asked him like are you happy are you happy now and he's in a classic sort of subversive way says happiness has nothing to do with it like happiness is a yuppie sentimental word happiness or unhappiness what matters is blessed or not blessed happiness is not what we're talking about what we're after right now is something that has deeper roots something that can withstand the hurricane You don't have to always be able to smile to always live into blessing. But there is joy and there's gladness. And that can exist at the same moment as suffering. This is heavy stuff. This is complicated. If you've heard these scriptures a million times, you're going to need a million and one or a million and two. How does Jesus say it? Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. That sounds awful. That does not sound fun. I don't want to do that. Rejoice and be glad, Jesus says. Rejoice and be glad. It's the language of blessing. Now, I want to finish today with... uh, not with my words but with a song right it just reminds me of that that line from the poem that there will be music despite everything so chance it, it chance the rapper is this uh artist out of chicago who who does not know who chance the rapper is let's just raise our hands again it's a few of us so i asked the staff on tuesday because we have staff meetings on tuesday and we sort of have this thing where we're introducing each other to new music and we're talking about blessings and his album uh coloring book is like full of this language of blessing and benediction and so i play a song and uh camille is like ready to go says we're gonna try (laughs) so you messaged him right it's like can we get this guy to church he's not here don't worry but when we, got, we get here at 8.30 in the morning and we're also, all the staff are sitting around together and we're talking. And, uh, and I said, hey, I got a video from Chance. And immediately all of you thought that he sent us a video. <laughs> That's not true either. I just got it from the internet. <laughs> it's public domain. So he has, a, he has an album called Coloring Book. Uh, kind of like uh, the novel Lamb. It's maybe not for everybody, but it is so sacred. And it's like core. Uh, and one writer says, uh, references, he's talking about Chance Irenaeus, who's a church father. And Irenaeus says, um, the glory of God is a human fully alive. There's something about Chance's artistry that feels like the glory of God in a human fully alive, very aware of both brokenness and blessing at the same moment. How could you not? A black man coming from Chicago with all of the complications of that identity in that context, right? So what does it mean to see blessing in this space? So the very last song on the album is a reprise called Blessing. I want you to hear it. I want you to see it, actually. This is a performance that he gave, uh, when he, when he appeared on Jimmy Fallon the last few years. Uh, and it's not just him, it's him and a group of singers, and then at the very end of the video, you're gonna see that there's an entire choir that has sort of filled in the crowd and turned it into a congregation. Uh, for the last week, he's been singing the song over me, as I've been sitting with this text, and so I'd like him to sing it over you. Uh, at the end, it will, it will have this refrain, are you ready for your blessing? Are you ready for your miracle? Uh if there is a way for you to listen with softness of heart, right, with this position, see if that is the position that you could hold. Um, if for some reason you decide that you might tap your foot or move around, that's okay too. There's like nothing more vulnerable than dancing in public. Um but Brian, can we cue it up and see? Uh performing blessed Anthony, Hamilton, Ty, Sign, Rory, and Drum. Please welcome Chance the Rapper. <laughs>
2: The promised land, soil as soft as Mama's hands. Running water, standing still. Endless fields of daffodils and chamomile. Rice under black beans. Walked in the Apple with cracked screens and told prophetic stories of freedom. Found warmth in a black queen for when I get cold. Like Nat King, I'm doing the dad thing. I speak of wondrous, unfamiliar lessons from childhood. Make you remember how to smile good. I'm pre-currency, post-language, anti-label, pro-famous. I'm Broadway Joe, name it. Kanye's best prodigy, he ain't signed me but he proud of me, so I got some ideas that you gotta see, make a vid with shorty and they ship it like the odyssey, they never seen a rapper practice modesty, I never practice, I only perform, I don't even warn, I don't need it warm, I won't be reborn, I speak to God in public, I speak to God in public, he keep my rhymes and couplets. he think the new is jam, I think we're mutual fans, I used to dance to Michael, I used to dance in high school, I used to pass out music, I still This chant must be everything the people can't be. I'm getting artsy fartsy, house full of some Hebrew brandies. You must have missed the come up. I must be all I can be. Call me Mr. Mufasa. I had to master standards I made it through, made it through, made it through. Everything I gave to you, I gave to you, I gave to you. You got it, you got it, you got it. It's coming. Are you ready? Are you ready for your blessings? Are you ready for your miracle? Are you ready? God blesses you. Are you ready for your miracle? See you.
1: wilderness and the dry land shall be glad; the desert shall rejoice and blossom, like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly, rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, and the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. In this line, strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful of heart, "Be strong; do not fear." Here is your God. The entirety of the Beatitudes, the entirety of the sermon might be right there. One more time. Say to those who are fearful of heart, be strong and do not fear. Your God is here. So I'll ask, like he asked, are you ready? Before I tell you what Jesus has told us to do and not to do, hear who you are. You are blessed. Before you've done anything and after you've burned it all down, you are blessed. In your need and in your plenty, you are blessed. In your health and in your sickness, in your success or your failure, blessed are you. Now, if this is true if you believe that it's true then everything is possible will you pray with me God root us deep because there are all kinds of winds that blow some that we opened the door to and invited in and some that showed up without warning our lives are heavy Soften our hearts. Open our hands. And thank you for the cross. That you suffered, endured, and showed us how to stay open even there. Now wake us up and bring us to new life. In the strong name of Jesus, amen.